Everyone in New York who does not have a cold is here tonight, and that's really... <laughs> Uh, and, and indeed, unfortunately, one or two who, who do. Um, but luckily, you've got some distance between <laughs> Lila and myself, so um, you should be safe. Wow. Well, first and most important, because uh, it's the thing one can forget to say, is that we're all invited afterwards to go for a nice drop of something and a nibble at One Grand Army Plaza. That's the... Um, wonderful apartment building designed by Richard Meyer that's just over Grand Island, uh, just the other side of Eastern Parkway, um, 30 seconds walk from uh, the library here. It's a building that has a wonderful gallery um, curated by Susie Spence, who is also associate publisher of artcritical.com. And the, the building has a very lively and active um, arts committee chaired by Anna Delgado, and they put on um, a really interesting program um, an important program of exhibitions, um, mostly of artists based in Brooklyn. Uh, currently, they're showing Nicola Tyson. So that's the place we repair to for our um, knees up after the discussion. Um, who's here at the review panel for the first time? Oh, wonderful. Well, welcome. It's great to see you. It's a regular program, and we, we hope you'll come back. Um, that, of course, depends on the performance of uh, those on the stage. <laughs> Although it may be stellar, and then next time might be a total flop. So unfortunately, it's a changing cast of characters. <laughs> well, fortunately, just, just me as the constant David Cohen moderator. Uh, I have a very distinguished panel to introduce you to this evening. Um, uh, one is a, um, a repeat offender. Uh, Christian Biveros Fonet has been, I think, on the panel at least since the first or second year, and we're now 13 years old, so he certainly knows the, the format, the ropes. Um, Christian um, is a critic and a curator. Um, actually, as a curator, he has a, a show that he organized, Angelo Otero Elegies, at the Bronx Museum through next spring. Um, he's best known to us New Yorkers as uh, a critic. He was... Uh, for quite a number of years, the art critic of the Village Voice. Prior to that, he's on the New York Press. After that, he was uh, briefly on um, Artnet uh, News um, and uh, doing a video blog there also with Blake Gopnik, who's another regular on the panel. Um, he's he's now writing for um, to the uh, he's now writing for um, the boom boom boom. In Other Words, uh, which is a, a syndicated magazine published by Sotheby's and others, and also for Art Review. Um, and um, he is uh, uh, at work on a book that's to be published uh, next fall by David Zwerner Books, titled Social Forms, Politics and Art from Goya to the Present. Um, Lila Pedro, uh, who, who holds a PhD in French literature from uh, Cooney Graduate Center is the managing editor of Hyperallergic um, and from 2015 to 2017 she held the same post managing editor at the Brooklyn Rail so as the editor of artcritical.com I will make sure to dot my I's and cross my T's and every word that I address in her direction for fear of um, getting that red line back at me <laughs> and um, Jonathan uh, Kalb uh, represents uh, here, he's, he, like Lila, is here for the first time on the review panel. Um, but he's also 
representing a departure that I've been burning to introduce for years, which is to um, introduce somebody who is a distinguished critic in a field other than the visual arts, to keep us visual arts critics on our toes and also to show the, uh, the mobility of the skill of criticism that um, once you have developed it in the art form of your choice, there need or should be nothing to stop you from applying it elsewhere. I mean, it's worth remembering after all that George Bernard Shaw was a music critic before becoming a playwright, so the, um, the to and fro, and, and of course a ton of poets uh, who are also art critics, the, the back and forth between the different genres should come as no surprise. Anyhow, um, Jonathan is, <coughs> excuse me, um, professor of theatre at uh, Hunter uh, College at Cooney City, um, and he's an internationally renowned theatre critic and scholar. Um, his uh, writings appear in the New Yorker, New York Times, NationSalon.com, and he also blogs at Something the Dust Said. Uh, he's resident dramaturge of uh, theatre for a new audience, um, and um, there are interesting points of contact in their pasts between, I think, everyone on this panel. You put together these panels and you think, I wonder if this one will get on with that one, and let's hope that that one has a horrible argument with the other one. And um, I can't remember, it was, it was, I think, Jonathan who said to me, this is very bizarre, and the degrees of separation. You think if you can put a, you know that everyone in the art world knows everyone else, but if you put a theatre critic on a panel, he's probably going to be a complete stranger uh, to the others, and it turns out that Jonathan and Christian were colleagues um, in the uh, uh, New York Press, right? And um, uh, there's also a connection with Lila, is that correct? Well, excellent. We'll find out what that was at the drinks party afterwards. <laughs> so just to re remind everybody the, and to introduce those who are new to it of uh, the format for the evening, uh, which is a slightly longer agenda than usual, so we will have to keep a careful eye on the watch. You'll notice that's why I gave a very brief introduction with no excursions or digressions, uh, is in order to keep an eye on the watch, uh, because uh, somewhat at the suggestion, I should say, of, um, of our generous hosts here, the, um, the, the wonderful uh, organizers of this, the Brooklyn Public Library, uh, I was persuaded to include some discussion of Ai Weiwei's major project that is taking place <coughs> uh, across New York. Um, and um, uh, but I wasn't prepared to cut any of our discussion on, on other exhibitions. So we're going to add a little Christmas bonus before our first break, a quick uh, review of Ai Weiwei's current projects around New York City. Um, so what we'll do is we'll have a little video now of the first two exhibitions that we're going to be discussing, uh, the, the exhibitions of Jean Silverthorne and Valeska Suarez. We will then discuss it among ourselves. We'll then repeat that exercise for Ai Weiwei. We'll then bring in the audience to let off steam and hear what you have to say about those first three things we've been talking about. And then we'll focus our minds on the last two exhibitions of the evening. Jean Silverthorne makes sculptures in rubber that speak to one of the most elemental subjects in art the memento mori. 
Typically, she builds her emotionally complex tableau from commonplace stuff found around her studio. Crates, chairs, lamps, insects, flowers, picture frames. These quotidian objects take on uneerie qualities with their waxy surfaces, limpid form and otherworldly pigmentation. Some of her phosphorescent colours literally glow in the dark. A light bulb contemplating suicide exudes tragicomic absurdity. Her first show with Mark Strauss occupies two floors of the Lower East Side building, including an unfinished storage unit on the top floor, where, for some of the show at least, a series of paintings by Hermann Nitsch, with its ritualistic and macabre aspects, complemented Silverthorne's Vanitas. Another Austrian features in her show as well. Writer Stefan Zweig's wonderful short story, The Invisible Collection, tells of a blind collector unaware that his family have been selling off his invaluable master etchings, luxuriating with projective identification at the surfaces of absent possessions. Silverthorne has the text in braille framed in rubber. Valesca Suarez is a Brazilian artist who's been living in Brooklyn since 1992. Her aesthetic is sometimes presented as an extension of the neo-concrete artists like Helio Wojcicica, bringing more associative and subjective aspects to the earlier artists' minimal and conceptual strategies. In her first show at Alexander Gray and Associates, Suarez presents two recurring aspects of her work, collections and deconstructions. On the lower floor are four paintings from her Double Face series. In these works, Suarez modifies vintage portraits of women to suggest the allure and mystery triggered by partial disclosure. In the larger space on the second floor, the viewer encounters Epilogue, the latest iteration in an ongoing series of large-scale installations in which ranks of dissimilar dining tables are placed as a single structure. In this case, each is topped with a mirror cut to the shape of the table upon which are placed many dozens of different drinking glasses, jugs and other receptacles, many in gaudy colours filled with liquors of different hue and quantity. As curator Jens Hoffman who organised a lobby installation of the artist in the Jewish Museum not so long ago, describes it, just as there's no way for visitors to know what joyful event is being capped off with a toast, there's no way for them to know their absent drinking companions. The incomplete scenario is a challenge to invent memories in place of lacuni or to hang out in the blank spaces. Well, the review panel, just occurs to me, is still quoting from... Uh, curators felled in the post-Weinstein purges, <laughs> but um, why not? If they said it right, they're worth quoting. So, interesting commonalities between these two artists, and one I wanted to almost say sculptors, but there seems no particular reason to use the term sculptor in relation to uh, Suarez, even though some of the works are three-dimensional. Um, Silverthorne, on the other hand, despite the, the, the kinkiness of the rubber, so to speak, um, the, the actual process by which she gets to that is a very traditional 
modeling one of making models in clay and then making casts and uh, making molds and just happening to pour rubber rather than bronze or some other um, alloy into the into the molds um, what what do we do we get something that we would think of as 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 uh, found um, as commonplace in a kind of Duchampian way or do we get something that is very um, poetic or theatrical what what is the if I could start with you Jonathan what is the the vibe that one gets entering Silverthorne's show I should say that I was um, looking forward to this show very much from the photographs um, uh, the photographs drew me in uh, and made me feel as though I was going to encounter something that was very much a tactile surrealistic experience um, and uh, I still think after seeing the show that that was the intention. Um, I'm aware of um, earlier works of this artist where uh, the rubber cast um, cables become almost like um, veins and arteries uh, hung all around a museum. It was a Whitney uh, installation that worked that way. And uh, there is something wonderfully odd and mysterious about those large um, installations uh, in the fact that the rubber doesn't collect, co uh, conduct electricity and yet it's uh, in the uh, form of something that usually does conduct electricity. So you'll have that um, uh, anomalousness, that disjunction uh, that makes you have to um, you know, sit back like a fur teacup and wonder what's going on here. Um, it also had a, uh, a kind of a mystery in the older installations because of the color, the black and white. There was a kind of a funereal uh, somberness to it. And I must say, I, I, I was um, surprised uh, at, at how little of that was borne out when I walked into this gallery. Um, I didn't quite know what to make of the big bright fluorescent color. Um, I, I found that flower moving because the flower is hanging itself from a rope uh, and that's interesting and, and you could tell that she looks at Gustin a lot of mm. light bulbs here and there um, but a lot of the smaller pieces I must say uh, struck me as doodads uh, the, 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 I, there was something so uh, effortful about the casting process that came through for me I felt as though I was looking at lightweight heavy lifting uh, to a certain extent. Um, and I All that effort for so, for, for so slight a yeah, reward. Yeah, and, mm. and I... Is that, I, I, I do, do we think maybe, um, Lila, that, that it's the quotidian nature of the subject matter that, that, gives that, that, that conveys that impression? Or did you actually disagree with Jonathan on, 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 on how one felt about process and result? That's interesting. I agree, actually, I think, with Jonathan in terms of what I expected and what I found, but I disagree slightly as to whether what I took away was disappointing. For me, I think, and you alluded to what um, the Silverthorne and the Suarez works have in common. I think one major thing they have in common is the human scale of it. They're incredibly intimate works that feel like you are dealing with them one-on-one. -on -one. Mm. Um, and in 
this particular case, and I'm sorry, I'm, thank you for bearing with me with my cold. Um, in this particular case, I, I think that actually the power of the work lies precisely in the so much effort for so little. And when we talk about um, Valeska Suarez in a moment, I think we can tie back into that in terms of that being a reflection on the nature of women's work, um, mm. on the constant, unrelenting <laughs> nature of small tasks that women socially perform um, for which the reward can be as small as like a bucket that doesn't work. <laughs> um, so I, I actually found that um, quite moving, although I, I also understand why it can feel uh, disappointing when you are coming in, as I think we both were, with more of the anticipation of that surrealist tactility that's so sensuous and exciting. Mm, right. Uh, Christian? Silverthorn. Well, you know, um, I mean, the thing about rubber is it, it, it's, a, it's a bit like cartoon drawing in that it's, hmm. you know, it's facetious, right? Um, uh, so just, just the materiality is, puts this in a place of funny, <laughs> um, if I can put <coughs> it that, that, that way. Um, uh, you know, the, the fact that, that she's, again, dealing with electricity quite a bit and a number of other objects that um, clearly uh, are not conducted by the same material. Um, the problem I have is, is and, and I'm sorry to just go straight to the problem, because I should actually no, maybe firstly say that, there, uh, that I think I probably enjoy the show overall, but, but it's impossible for me to think of Silverthorne's work without thinking of Guston, because she makes so many, mm. she, she makes so many um, indications that Guston is somebody who's important mm. there in terms of the production. And also Gober, who's somebody we haven't mentioned yet, but, right. but again, Gober is very much there for every reason in the world. Um, because it's life-size stuff, because it's stuff that seems oddly sort of uh, selected for casting in whatever materials. Um, in this case, we know in every ca we know in every case with Silverthorne that it's rubber. We are not quite sure with uh, Gober. He makes it slightly more mysterious. It's usually wax with Gober. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, uh, wax and rubber have that uh, similarly sweaty disposition. They 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 do they do. Uh, and and I think it's fair to say that you know Gober's when it's not wax, it's a hole in the ground and many other sort of tropes mm. that that extend the materiality of the thing um, uh, further, right? Um, Could it be that... I, I'm finding her... Uh, yeah. uh, I'm, I'm finding her, her attempts at... at, at uh, or, or even her, her um, uh, successes mm -hmm. with, with meaning and with metaphor to, you know, be slightly... I, I, how did you put it? Uh, lightweight, uh, lightweight, heavyweight heavy lifting heavy for lightweight lifting. resistance. I mean, yes. Gilbert would be the heavyweight, and and uh, in this case, I I'm, I'm having I'm having a similar moment in terms of sort of judgment. But the yeah, same thing is <coughs> the same thing could be said about the literature that's being quoted. The Stefan Zweig, uh, 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 the the Charlotte Perkins uh, uh, Gilman. That the 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 it's a, it's a, it's a kind of a borrowed mystery that the mm. work itself is just trying to nod to rather, uh, rather than be able to produce itself. Mm. I'm, a, I'm a great devotee of Zweig. He was like a hero of mine. But I can recognize that he is um, he's a, he's a, a petty maitre. He's, he's, it's, it's kind of small literature in a way, isn't it? 
it, it, but, but it's a beautiful story. Um, can we can we just jump back quickly to the materiality? And the materiality of rubber? is what interests me most. We can we can dwell there because yes, I would love to dwell please, there. Please, um, but there. specifically, I just want to point out. I think it's interesting. Your first take was sort of a. I think you said like the kinkiness. Of, was that the word you used? Uh, you s- I think you said the, the kink of out, rubber, yes. mm-hmm. um, and Christian finds it sort of humorous mm-hmm. as a material. And I think it's very interesting to sort of dig into the assumptions we have about materials. What comes to my mind when I think of rubber is what rubber did to Brazil in a colonial <laughs> context, um, which again is tied to the histories of labor and of how much you get for how little and <coughs> vice versa. So, you know, I don't think that any of these, I think we should be wary of ascribing historical meaning to materials mm. or of being reductive in terms of assigning signification. At the same time, I don't think we should be too comfortable in our own first response as to what a material is indicating. Yeah, that's 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 a, a, a wonderful point. What what interests me though in in Christian's take and and in relating um, uh, Silverthorne to both uh, Gustin and Goba is that perhaps because of its near literalism. I mean, I, I see Silverthorne as representing the objects that she uses, not appropriating them. And mm. it's because of perhaps their realist finesse, you could say, that, that the rubber gives, um, the rubber has an interesting effect, well, it, uh, I think an, a, a crucial effect on how we read these objects. But they are representations of objects, not appropriations of objects. And I think that's kind of crucial. And that's where she perhaps ties to Goba, because Goba, Goba seems to be a Duchampian appropriator, and yet there's the ludicrous uh, uh, labor intensity, the, the loving craft of, uh, literal, of, of, real, of making a representation that has the effect of a literal appropriation. Um, what do we think of the relationship between the real and representation in Silverthorne? Is that a subject that impinged on your thinking, uh, Jonathan, or I, I, you question? Know, I, I think Jonathan's reference <coughs> to Oppenheim's um, <coughs> yeah, for cup is, yeah. Is, is right, you know, uh, and then we can go on sort of, we can fast forward on that to, I don't know, David Lynch. Obviously, we've already sort of mentioned mm. Gober. Um, do we think her intent is surreal existentialist do we think what uh, there's 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 heavy themes of 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 death and uh, the macabre uh, in the work to some extent but also a goofy humor as we say so yeah there's a sad trombone element to the thing mm. you know very mm. much mm. you know again running all of all of the above <laughs> running through mm. Guston and running mm. through you know a spirit of uh low comedy you know right even. i mean if you've if you muck around with suicide as a as a as a <coughs> as a as a, as a, as, a, as a as a comedic notion, yeah, you know, you're it's a it's you're a in a dark territory. Yeah, it's a dark it's a dark take. But you know, you know, plenty of but it's there. a laugh. Maurizio right? Catalan with his squirrel. Oh, no, not, <coughs> it's not a criticism. It's, no, no, it's simply yeah. a yeah. I, I, I think it's essentially a surrealistic impulse. This is, I, I see the, the, this artist cha- uh, seeing the, the, the conduits as channels of uh, mysterious 
uh, psychic energy uh, that she will uh, uh, activate for us. Um, I could be wrong, but that's, you asked, and mm. that's, that's the way mm. I see it. I think there's definitely a surrealistic impulse, and I feel um, very similarly to you. I would also say that there's, you know, with surrealism, you there's so many little veins that sort of come off of it that are interesting, and there's certainly the sort of humorous or goofy vein, but there's also the sort of like, off in a corner, the Tetsumi Kudo vein, which I think comes back to what you are talking about in terms of color. I found color unexpected here. Um, in Tetsumi Kudo's work, you see similar organic kind of shapes with colors that actually signify incredibly dark things, even though they're sort of pastel-y in this way. Um, so I, I, I think there is a surrealistic impulse, but it's important to ask which surrealistic impulse. And I'm also curious as to, I think the Oppenheim for Cup is a very useful object for entering the question of, of um, the construction of meaning behind this, because for me, like for most people, right, that cup just works as an object. It means no explanation. It's basically a perfect art object. Right, yeah. um, and somehow in these works, even though there are similar structures operating, there's a slippage. There's something that doesn't quite make it total and I, I don't I'm, I'm not sure quite how to articulate what yeah, that I agree is. with you that most of the pieces don't have that magic you know they don't work as immediately are they um, after that magic necessarily I, I, I think mm -hmm. them also as being in a strange way as to Eva Hesse there's a kind of post minimal mm -hmm. uh, reinvestment of um, of meaning subject matter in uh, processes that are um, um, not reductive. In yeah, but case, at the same time, there's unlike Hesse, there are real, actual sort of metaphors here. I mean, mm. the Fleur du Mal thing, and mm. you know, a, another one of these frame pieces with these very garish colors and flies all over the. I mean, it's this close to basically sort of being just <coughs> not a bad taste per se, but just mm. like tasteless, like not you know, like. Tacky. Tacky, thank mm. you. That's exactly mm. the word I need. Also, there... Um, so, so maybe she's missing... Maybe, I guess, if, if, we, if we run with your uh, argument, yeah. she's, she's, she's being extra clumsy on purpose. I, right. I'm, I'm of the opinion that maybe that's not the case. Maybe, maybe the, 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 the figure trope she's using and the colors mm. and is literally, as Leila was saying, missing a beat. Yes. Know? It's short-circuiting at some point. I'm sorry I interrupted. No, no fine. I, I, I also think we, we should talk about insularity and inward directedness here because they are, uh, you know, Eva Hess is, is uh, uh, you know, looking inward, very, very private work, but then they, they, they explode on you with your own um, associations as you're, as you're there. They, 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 they defy their own inwardness. And they're far more uh, ambiguous. And, and this is an, uh, Silverthorne is an artist who's looking at her own studio, who's doing these, uh, uh, you know, rubber reproductions of her own storage boxes. And uh, uh, it, it, it's, 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 it's not that defiant inwardness. It mm. becomes almost decorative in certain pieces. Mm. Right, decorative, yes. I, I don't think, yes, that's, that's an interesting view. I, I think of them as being sort of belligerently quotidian in a way, as, as being... Um, I find them really odd. I, I don't quite... I, I, I admire her industry. I happen to know her personally and like her a lot, and her integrity and her connection to other artists is, is interesting. I mean, I can't help... When, if I've seen somebody for many years in a particular gallery which has such a particular vision and a set of stablemates, 
I, I've seen her in the context of looking at Guston, Tucker, Martin Perrier, and so that all of th they all rub off on each other to some extent. Not Guston, but the, the the living ones by showing together, and to some extent to the viewer, they they rub off on each other. But um, uh, she does remain to me a bit of a mystery, but mystery and rubber are, are, are good bedmates, bedfellows. Let, let, me, let me throw out an idea that you know, she isn't, she is obviously a, a later generation than the people you, you, you mentioned, and I wonder if there is a sort no, of a... No, a I think she's about the same age now as Perrier. Uh, yeah, and, and, pretty uh, much. And, Tucker. and Silverthorne? And yeah. Silverthorne. Silverthorne, yeah. Okay, well then... Uh, maybe there's five years in it, but not much more. She's, she's up there. She's been around a long while. Right. Women artists well, don't always register. Right, right. No, yeah. they don't all yeah, sort of right. hit at the same time, granted. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, right. And, well, you know, maybe I won't say what I was going to say. Well, then, okay. <laughs> I'll hold it. And um, uh, we might come back to you later if we have a few minutes to spare and say, what were you going to say about? <laughs> but um, I think it's a good segue to, a uh, good moment to, to think now about uh, Suarez. We've already mentioned Brazil in relation to um, rubber exploitation. And um, we've got another woman artist and we've got another artist dealing with um, appropriation objects and um, subjective metaphorical transformation. So we're moving on to our next loop now. Thank you. Um, Lila, fill us in on, on Suarez. Oh gosh, um, I'm I'm not an expert at all. But um, what I what I do find really interesting, um, and I actually I do well with points of contrast. So I want to still depart from the rubber. Yes. Um, <laughs> to this is that um, the work is always finished. It's very precise. It's very surface, mm. and I don't mean surface in a pejorative way. I mean surfaces are really compelling. Clean and finessed. Yes and thereby valued, I think, mm. um, in the work. I think um, there's a particular interest in what is um, hidden or revealed that tends to manifest in sort of elegantly violent ways, um, specifically the images of women um, with the faces cut out or dipping down, um, and this sort of concern with presenting um, elements of domestic interiors and women's interior lives in this way that deals with glossiness and repetition and extension, um, I find very interesting. Um, whether this show hangs together in sort of magnifying all of those concerns, I'm not fully convinced. Mm -hmm. But I think that they are, the threads are there. Right. The finesse, uh, the, the finish, the surface that Lila is pointing us towards Christian, for me, was um, uh, actually a major obstacle uh, in mm. getting to terms with this artist because it seemed to me so a priori and so conceptually driven, um, not conceptually driven is the wrong, uh, it's, it seemed to me that she'd done all her thinking before the fabrication began. I'd be with you with conceptually driven, at least with the first part of the work. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I admit I haven't seen a lot of her work in the last five to ten years, but it was difficult for me not to consider them, as you said, um, a priori, right? Um, the, the excising of the, uh, of the half faces, really, in, yeah. in, the, in the paintings seemed to me to sort of hit a certain topical note 
Um, they look to me to be sort of versions of hijabs, paintings as sort of like hijabs, um, that, that don't <coughs> necessarily improve the pieces for me. Right. Um, uh, it, you know, it, it, that, 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 that idea seemed a bit heavy-handed. Yeah. Um, uh, particularly, it's just a single conceptual idea and then repeated a number of times. Yes, you Again, have these, the, the mm. paintings were specifically sort of like, I mean, they're found. Yeah. So in that way, it's a vastly different show to the Silverthorn, sure. which is all handmade, right? Um, this stuff is all found material. Oh, Even so those paintings, I didn't realize that. The paintings are actually found paintings. Yeah, 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 yeah. they're all ah, found. Ah, they're I, all see. found. Yeah. I would have actually been uh, ridiculously, mm. I guess I'm revealing a lot by saying I would have been, I would have been kinder to I would feel kinder towards them as she painted them herself because oh. they actually looked she like paint them herself Are she found sure? the paintings and copied them herself on the back and, and then the and then painted the color fields on the on the back uh, with uh, the choices of color responding to the colors in the paintings. Okay, okay. I didn't get that from the press release, but I think you right. went further and actually asked somebody. Yeah. So. yeah. Um, okay. Which makes them in, in a funny so way closer corrected. to somebody like Titus Carfour, who does a similar strategy right. of like mm. making these academically proficient paintings and then soaking them in materials to cover them up and things. As a well, I'm glad to have that cleared up. Uh, uh, but I think there's still a distinction <coughs> to be made there. Mm. Yeah. None, I mean, nonetheless, um, which is... Um, the, the the act of finding and replicating is different from the act of choosing and framing and executing a subject. And I think that those, you know, and, and again, I don't mean that in, in, in a hierarchically inferior way because she is making the object, she's choosing to make the object her own quite literally yeah. and then intervene in it in ways that are certainly food for thought, even if it feels like no one on this panel is terribly excited about it. Well, we haven't heard from Jonathan yet, so Jonathan... Uh, no, I, I, I think that there's a... Uh, the, the show falls in the category of interesting, which is often damning. The, uh, um, the, the, it seems to me that there's an, uh, an interesting snub or, or Philip toward uh, heroic modernism mm. uh, in the downstairs part of the show. She's taking color field paintings and saying, oh, look, on the back are... Uh, 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 renderings of anonymous women, you know, and uh, so I, I'm, I'm going to let them peek through by cutting, cutting out and letting their, their faces peek through. And with the rugs, uh, you know, I'm going to show that on the back of these other domestic objects are uh, the half circles and semicircles and moon shapes of, you know, heroic modernism, of constructivism and suprematism, and that's going to be my feminist statement. And I, I, I think <coughs> it is a feminist statement, and it's an interesting one, but it's a little pedantic, mm. you know. It's a little, it's a, it's out, a little right? formed before you get into the studio, as you said. And the other thing is, there's such ordinary uh, portraits. How would it have damaged the show if the, if the, <coughs> if the paintings were mm. just, you know, a little bit more uh, specific and special, maybe, maybe of specific women. How, how would that have hurt the idea? It might, might have made it a little more memorable and a little less mundane. Yeah, heavy-handed, I think, is the term that I heard used. It's, um, uh, I think she's, she likes to control what's happening and, 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 and keep it in... Um, this is why I prefer an artist like Silverthorne because Silverthorne is trusting to chance and um, uh, lets her creations go out in the world and do their own thing. Where, with Suarez, I think, 
I feel it's like she's an art director who's, who's controlling every possible emotion or deduction that one can have in relation to the work. And yet the, the curator, <coughs> Jens uh, Hoffman, was actually kind of saying the very opposite with the, the work upstairs, um, which uh, the, the big, the, the dining tables covered in mirror with all those um, tchotchkery glasses, um, uh, implying that it's, um, it's, it's inviting and wide open. Do, do we feel that, um, Lila? No, I feel quite the opposite. I, I don't feel any, that any of these works and are, are inviting me to engage. I feel that they are hermetic. Mm. I don't feel like there's a dialogue to be had. I feel like there is one sentence being spoken and then yeah. it is concluded. And that, I mean, that comes back to the power of these surfaces. And it, I mean, you can sort of see it here, but in the flesh, these surfaces, mm -hmm. no one goes into a gallery in Chelsea like expecting to grope objects, but like you really do not want to touch this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it is um, extremely forbidding and um, yeah, I just, I, I, I don't feel that it, that the whole thing about it's like <coughs> inviting you to have a drink with your um, missing friends, mm. it, it does not come across to me in really any toxic way. Well, she she says in an interview that in the earlier iteration of this piece uh, in 2013, that, that, which was one table rather than five tables, Finale, that people yes. did come in and, uh, uh, you know, v violate social norms and uh, uh, get over their germophobia and pick up the glasses and sip the liquor in them. And it is real liquor, you can smell it um, sitting there, uh, kind of the residue of a party. And, and so I, I think we're supposed to feel what happened here. Is there a, uh, uh, was there su suddenly some emergency where everybody ran and they left all their drinks? But, um, uh, but the, the table surfaces are mirrored, and what they mirror in this particular gallery is this the dullest, most institutional, you know, air duct and fluorescent lighting fixtures. <laughs> <laughs> Though that could in itself be turned into an interesting piece of commentary if that was in fact the case. I mean, I, my reaction to it is probably informed by previous pieces that I've looked at previous tabletop pieces, and, and the one I always go back to, I, I saw when I was way before I even had thought about <coughs> writing art criticism, um, was a Daniel Sproeri, I think, but those pieces oh, were called yeah. mm. uh, snare pieces, and they're essentially just tabletops with just detritus for a party, and, and that's then, but then, they were. But then hung and then, vertically. And then they're the generally mm. sort of like hung vertically. Mm. Um, uh, and there have been many other kinds of pieces like that made sense. And I actually enjoyed this piece. I mean, in a, in a, in a, I mean, I think there's a bit of dyslexia happening in terms of the in both floors. There's a total disconnect, I think, between what happens in the bottom floor and the top floor. I actually had some slight visual enjoyment from the top floor, <laughs> but maybe I could be convinced, as you guys are saying, that that uh, you know, on the on the negative side, this is pretty forbidden, forbidding, forbidding stuff. And if there's an argument to be made for it, maybe what it's providing is some kind of institutional critique, which again, I find somewhat stale. Yeah. Um, so As a piece of design, it's perfectly fabulous. That must yeah, be said. No, I mean, I, I think if, you, if you're running the windows at Crate and Barrel, you could come and look at this show and get some pretty well, <laughs> ideas. I mean, well, no, it, it <coughs> would be something with a decent sense of design. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, at least that. It would, it would be better than Crate and Barrel's where I'm yes, going. Yes, doing, yeah. Um, yeah, she's got class, and they, it's fun. It's a fun piece, and I, I could, 
I can imagine as a curator wanting to use her in a group exhibition yeah, yeah, yeah. as an offset and uh, as a way from a bridge from one to another. And I think the, I think the basic kind of conceit of the mirrors on the different, the mirrors unifying the disparate tables, it has a quality not as poignant as uh, Doris Salcedo, but that, that way also of uh, repurposing and, and giving some theatre to the repurposing sort of reminds me of like a, of, of objects. A, of, of an old-time sort of Irving Penn fashion photograph or something. Yeah. <laughs> yes. you know, I get some of that from... Great. From um, panel, uh, two things. First of all, uh, we're going to go on now to Ai Weiwei. And second of all, uh, don't like to give stage directions with the audience watching, but just a reminder that we're looking at the audience and they're looking at the slides. Okay, so we're now actually going to swivel around and uh, go on to a, a brief video on... The, a borrowed video on Ai Weiwei. And, um, and then a brief discussion Oops, <coughs> of his project. New York City is a migrant city. I decided to do a project which relate to the city's history, my personal experience, and reflects the social political conditions of today. I grew up in China, a society which have very limited freedom. No freedom of speech, one party system. As a consequence, I've been jailed, I've been beaten. So all those kind of difficulties make me understand the freedom we want have to come through a fight. But not just for myself, there's a lot of people who have no voice. I grew up in exile camps, so I know exactly what it's about. Welcome to the launch of Ai Weiwei's Good Fences, Make Good Neighbors. Weiwei is a very extraordinary figure, one of the world's leading contemporary artists, and at the same time, one of the most recognized activists for human rights. Public Art Fund invited Weiwei to develop an exhibition in response to New York City, and he created an extraordinary citywide exhibition of well over 300 different works spread around all five boroughs. New York City to me is a ready-made. The beauty about New York City is coexistent and the tolerance and the sharing. There are large-scale sculptures at a number of key sites, the entrance to Central Park, Washington Square Park, Cooper Union, the Unisphere in Queens, as well as fences on rooftops, banners that are in 200 locations, display ads, and sculptures on bus shelters all around the city. We have variations because migrants, they are different. They have different language, different stories. Weiwei had been seeing fences at refugee camps, at border sites, all over the world. And he really wanted to develop a sculptural language that could bring that into the context of New York City. Fences can be solid as a wall, but many fences you can see through. You can have hatred or admiration about the other side. 
Great. Thank you. Oops. Spilling ginger juice all over the place here. The, the gold cage, of course, at outside the plaza uh, and steps from Trump Tower is a, a loaded um, color choice. Um, uh, does does um, good fences make us feel... Um, I wonder if the effect is to make us feel um, proud as New Yorkers and ashamed as Americans. What's the, what's the, uh, what's the takeaway from this extravaganza? What do we end up thinking about most, or who? Christian? Uh, not a bang, but a whimper. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the two major pieces, the one in <coughs> uh, Park South and the uh, other one in Washington Square Park, um, are, are interesting, but they, they're dwarfed not only by New York City, but by the current uh, political conditions, not only in this country, but globally. Mm. Um, not only by the phenomena of Trump, um, as it's lived in a place like New York and America, but by the global phenomena of refugees and of fences and of, um, uh, of nationalism. Um, and, and that's unfortunate because I, I, I think, uh, I think Weiwei represents the global artist like no other artist I know. Um, and so I think when he misses the mark by a significant margin, it's, it's, uh, it's an opportunity that's lost. Uh, every now and again, he hits it. Um, and, and I think for that reason, he continues to be an important artist. I mean, he, mm -hmm. but when he, he fails, he often fails <coughs> spectacularly. But, mm. but in this case, it was really just a dud for me. It just didn't work. Jonathan, was that, is that fair? I think I agree with everything Kristen said. I, uh, I, I feel um, as though this is a, a, a real, uh, terribly missed opportunity. This is a, a world-famous artist who's trying to bring attention to the refugee crisis. Uh, and he had a chance to do something uh, massive in New York City. And I think he tried to do too much in a certain way, 300 works. And I, I think he, he, he miscalculated uh, in, in the effect that these works would have in the environment. They're just not, if, if, if they were great sculptures, you would forgive everything. Right? But they're, they're also mediocre sculptures. Um, I, spent, I, I went to the Washington Square sculpture twice, and people are looking at themselves in the Duchamp cutout like they do in funhouse mirrors. And, you know, but what if, else is that to do? If it's a carnival, should, yeah. you know, if, 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 it's, if it's an amusement attraction, if, if it looks like an amusement attraction and it feels like and smells like an amusement attraction, it is maybe amusement. it's an amusement attraction. Yeah. And that yeah. is not uh, the work that it needs to be doing. And I will also say that I, I, I downloaded the interactive <coughs> map from the Public uh -huh. Art Fund so that you can walk around supposedly and um, see what all those translucent banners are all over the city find out who those people are and understand that the translucence is the uh, sort of uh, uncertain um, uh, status of refugees in life and mm -hmm. all fine. And it, look, I have a $500 cell phone. I'm a privileged person and it just doesn't work. 
It doesn't work. It has to reload every time you go past <laughs> another banner. Mm. You know, I saw Trotsky, I saw uh, Josephine Baker, mm. and I saw Freud, and I gave up because it just <laughs> took too long, you know, to, to find out more about those people. Little yeah, I, I spent a lot of time trying to think something interesting mm. about these, and they just, I don't feel that they work structurally for the reasons Christian mentioned specifically relating to scale. Um, they just sort of fizzle uh, against the backdrop of New York, but also if they're trying to be a commentary on our political moment, um, let's even just limit it to as Americans, as mm. your question was phrased, mm -hmm. you know, maybe two years ago, people would have responded differently, but the sort of emotional pitch at which most people are walking around now is such that it, it takes a lot to make me feel anything political right now besides my baseline level of like Outrage. rage and depression. Right. <laughs> so I don't think it worked on either a structural or, structural or an emotional scale. Mm. They, re they remind, was it Oliver Eliason who did the uh, the waterfalls? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Right. Yes. They reminded very much, very yes. they reminded me very much of that. A lot <laughs> of uh, scale big money problem. and institutional muscle behind a rather s sort of damp squib. Uh, yes. Yeah, totally, totally. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, when you're as big and famous as Ai Weiwei, you have to be careful about the line between self-promotion and advocacy mm -hmm. uh, also. And um, this is a guy who hasn't always gotten that right. I mean, I honor all of his, uh, you know, uh, uh, advocacy projects, trying to, um, you know, fight uh, uh, suppression and, and uh, government um, mm. intransigence in China and around the world. Who could be against trying to bring attention to the refugee crisis? But when you have yourself photographed uh, in the position of three-year-old Alan Kurdi, the dead Syrian child on a beach, you know, and spread that photo around the world, you sacrifice a little bit of your um, uh, authority and legitimacy. He spent a lot of capital that day. Mm. You know, that was as morally tone-deaf as the German railway system naming a train after Anne Frank. Mm. Yes. <coughs> Gosh. Yes. Um. <laughs> Yeah, he needs. To <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't aware of that. I, I, I was. I say was. taking the stuff. <coughs> I, I, I did read the story about the German train, but I, I didn't think that 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 uh, that 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 it was quite that equivalent. But you're right. There was some. He 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 took a little dent in his his um, moral bank account uh, with the some aspects of the project. I don't know. You know. I feel that. Um, yeah, it's my job as moderator to pretend to really love this project, but um, <laughs> I think the banners, if the banners had just been put up by the Public Art Fund, uh, by a committee, and, and even if, say, Ai Weiwei was a consultant or something, but seeing Ai Weiwei's name on every single one of them seems like a kind of dog peeing on every lamppost, you know, it's... Yeah, it's, yeah, it's um, yeah. And it's a kind of worthy, kind of um, earnest project that, that a, a do-gooder might do, um, you know, to put up plaques or something and, and to make us think through something. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm, I has a kind of, I thought, I mean, this, this panel this evening has disproved it, but I, I've always felt that I has erected from, from, carved out for himself a position of unassailability um, that yeah, precisely. It's, it feels cruel to say this or even think this, but you know, when he was locked up by the Chinese and 
the Tate, put Free Ai Weiwei on the on the on the top of the Tate gallery, and not quite a equivalent gesture, but art critical wrote an editorial. But I, I felt you know good about you know our, our hero in the art world, I who's taking on totalitarian uh, regimes, but. Now he's free and, and given an unlimited budget, it doesn't, I, I don't wish him or anyone else to go back to jail, but he, his, his, his credit was better in those days. And now it's, um, we, we need to see something stronger, I think. Um, but uh, having said that, I think just as, as public sculpture, the uh, wraparound at, the, at Ozone Park um, is, is just, is fun and good fun and poignant at the same moment. The, the mesh that you can loll in and relax and look at the world. You're looking at, uh, a, the, you're looking at the sphere, the, hem the, the globe, and, and you're lying on, on, on a material that, that, that's associated with barriers and with um, incarceration. And that, as a kind of public conceptualism, works well, I think. Well, like the turnstile area in the birdcage, you can't go into the mesh. It's the size of a human being, but you can't crawl in or through, which <coughs> is what kids mm. would always want to do. Yeah. And I, 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 I thought walking around it, what, why, why isn't the idea of entrapment more a part of this sculpture? Why, why wouldn't he have, I don't know, put some uh, flotsam in the net so that you could see that it was, you know, catching things or something? It was, I, it was so empty that it didn't, in any way remind you of refugees or, or, or walls to me? Well, he, he has a little bit of the, the, the um, Suarez problem. I mean, she, he, he is um, he's a symbolic minimalist. So he, um, it's, it's a heavy-handed symbolism, but it needs to be a rigorous minimalism at the same time. I think that's kind of where he's at with his project. But now is a good moment to bring in our audience to discuss the first three shows we've, well, the first two shows and the project that we've been discussing, um, and to get some, some feedback. There should be a mic that's making its way around, and uh, please do uh, wait for it. Um, um, I'm afraid I don't know. Tell me your name. Eric. Eric is the man with the mic. So um, uh, let's uh, just, just pile in with whoever you want to talk about, and the discussion will follow from that. Silverthorn Suarez I. Or just yeah, no hungry for part two. <laughs> hungry for more. Yes, back of the back row there. Thank you. <coughs> I, I was just thinking about the um, the Ai Weiwei pieces and uh, in, a, in a way maybe they're e even functionally opposite of what the intention may have been, because I, I see the large-scale sculptures at least as these sort of massive overpriced boondoggles for the wealthy people to gaze upon and, you know, feel good about themselves for giving money towards, while the common people at best ignore them and at worst are, you know, obstructed by them in their day-to-day -day life. Hmm. Or ogle them like spectacles, as Jonathan was saying. I mean, you know, it, it, there's a... There's a there's a bit of Yayo Kusama sort of uh, spectacularity right. to the to the pieces. It, they're selfie uh, bait, mm. you know. I think he did try to avoid putting them in places where they would get in people's way, 
but the cost of that is that they're overlookable often. Mm. The one by mm. the Essex market on uh, Delancey and Essex, I had to look around for 10 minutes to find it because it was 15 feet high and then it was just these mesh metal things hanging from the flag posts mm. above. And it was, it was like, you, there's only one place from 60 feet away across the street that you can even see the shapes of the refugees cut into it. That's too much effort. Which is, and it's also weird because, you know, is it the whole point of offense to be obstreperous? I mean, mm. <laughs> to be mm. in your way, right? right? Um, I mean, if you were feeling generous, you could make the argument that the work makes itself hard to see. I, I don't feel generous and I don't think that's the intention, <laughs> but I, I do think that, you know, we don't have to take the fence to literally mean a thing in our way. It can be work that's difficult to access or that, you know, like the nets, you know, the fact that you cannot touch the work can feel like a restriction, maybe, if you're feeling nice. I feel that Chris, Ophe <laughs> Chris Ophelia did a better job with uh, fences just in, yeah. indoors yeah. and uh, maybe, maybe more of a fuck you to the whole um, print, uh, idealism of our republic would be to have a fence around the, uh, the arch and actually mm -hmm. Physically prevent us from getting into it. The dude would be to <coughs> take a line, take a take a storyline from The Simpsons and just put a huge fence around New York City. That's, right, that was the thing to do. Yes, escape from New any, York. Anyone yes. who knows that episode, please pipe up. Right. <laughs> it was a bell jar, right? Whatever right. it was. Yes, maybe uh, opposite corner, Eric. Uh, but do wait for the mic because uh, we are recording you for posterity, so that the podcast can also include the. The question session. Uh, good evening and thank you very much uh, for your vantage points, very informative and interesting. I just want to ask, I mean, uh, to me, Weiwei's life out of necessity has become a willed, concerted act of art in and of itself, and that blurs obviously with his physical art. And in your points of view, two questions, when does that tend to devalue the art? And the second question is, because he's become such a celebrity, are there any other artistic antecedents, any other artists historically who have mirrored, you know, his duality of effort, both making his life an art, as well as his art an art? Thank you. Uh, thank you. Yeah. yeah. I don't know who wants to take the first part of the question, but in terms of antecedents, I think there's plenty, just public intellectuals in general, who get to that stature. There used to be poets. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, I mentioned Neruda earlier. And, um, I don't know. There, there, there are many, right? Um, Picasso, um, right? Certainly, Picasso. Um, Oscar Wilde. Oscar Wilde. In a negative, um, yeah, in a flipped way, yes. As as uh, <coughs> visual artists, not not too many. I guess Rauschenberg at some level, maybe not quite at that level of global fame. Warhol, obviously, but he wasn't particularly interested in taking up sort of, a, you know. Politics, but actually, the um, question does pinpoint the fact that um, Ai Weiwei's mission is is primarily <coughs> uh, humanitarian, and that his art is a vehicle for the the superior discourse within his life and his worldview, which is, which is the humanitarianism. Right. The term is artivism. That's mm. more oh, or less right. newish. Bono, Bono might be a good. Um, yeah, actually, Bono is a perfectly good. Bono's no, your no, man. No, 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 no laughing. Or, or uh, Bob Geldof, perhaps. Right. I mean, Bob Geldof's music is utterly execrable, but he's a saint because uh, you know of, of Band Aid and all that. So kudos to the him world. for that. He fed the world. Feeding the world is much more important than making music in, in elevators. So, so right. 
I, d- I don't mind. I don't. Uh, Bob Geldof is a hero to me, but I don't want to. without the soundtrack. But taking the case of someone like Geldof, <coughs> you're mostly right. Boomtown yeah. Rats made shit for music. Right. Right. So there was no curve to speak of. He it, he just wound up being not a great musician, but a guy who but put a together mm. but a massive mensch, and he put together this mm. massive thing whose value we can talk about maybe at some other juncture. Yeah. Right. Because the legacy is also sort of you know complex to say the least. And he's good looking uh, as well. Yeah. He, I mean you know it's a matter of taste. Not bad looking, okay. But but, uh, but in, in in any event, uh, you know, so you don't need to have the curve, right? Uh, I mean, I think that the, the the interesting thing with with Weiwei is that, you know, as, as, as David mentioned, you know, he came to personify um, the artist uh, being centered, the artist being oppressed. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and he literally took on, uh, uh, personally, uh, the totalitarianism, communist China, period, <coughs> you know, one of the great mm. powers, uh, one of the great global powers and 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 that's where he gets an enormous amount of his authority from and and he made some terrific work doing it and some of his best work is work that intersects with his his interests and i I should mention by the way that the review panel has now ai weiwei has now is i think the one person who's been discussed on this forum three times um uh so you know um the other reviews were much more positive than this evening's. Um, but we, we, the first time we looked at him, we were looking at the Rebars project, right. you know, um, um, on, on view at um, Mary Boone at that time, some years ago, and that was to do with the Sichuan earthquakes. Right. And, and there, there the, the, the power as sculpture and the potency of the symbolism and the um, activism uh, bonus made it a kind of trifecta and, and a real success. And so he was probably not wrong to think that he might pull off the same magic with refugees and this opportunity in New York. It's just, I think the consensus here is that it didn't, didn't work. What was the second half of the question? Because that was, or was that the second half of the question? <coughs> I, I remember there was another, sorry? Well, we got the other artists, and yeah, I think we dealt with your question, sir. Thank you very much. I think <coughs> anyone, we got two minutes of someone, yes, middle row. Uh, wait for Eric's mic, if you would. It, it'll pass its way down. Hi. Um, I'll admit coming here without knowing what the subject was ahead of time, so I am have been digesting the information as I've been sitting here, and it occurred to me that... Um, there's something about the futility of fences in Ai Weiwei's work, and that as spectators, we're never really inside of them or behind them. Um, and I thought that was kind of a very New York thing to say. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And as you were saying it, I mean, it occurred to me that the, a more positive spin on Ai's project is precisely to, um, and here there are precedents, but I'm not able to think of them, is to take something that is a a symbol of bureaucracy, oppression, and territorialism, namely the fence, and turn it into something dinky and decorative and fun and interactive, as these sculptures do. 
um, that that might be um, uh, spears into plowshares, uh, swords into plowshares. There may, there may be that intention in the work, is to, is to render the, the offensive uh, harmless, uh, in which case uh, the more fun that one has uh, with the uh, birdcage and the, <coughs> uh, the Duchamp cutout and the funfair aspect of it, um, the, the fact of having the fun is, is actually potentially cathartic. Do you believe that? I do not. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, but it's it's a it's a potential argument, and I I I wanted an argument to come out of the stage, even if insincerely, to to, to show us, to show that there isn't complete consensus. But, but I have but I have a precedent that actually took place in exactly the same and in, in one of the main locations yeah. where where Weiwei put up his the, the, in Washington Square Park, uh, Bosco Sodi, not a month. Uh, prior to uh, Weiwei installing his piece, actually put, a, put up a wall of bricks made in Mexico, mostly by migrant workers, oh, trucked, it, trucked it over and built it in a day, right? Um, and, and then gave the bricks away to folks who sort of came by with bags. And, <coughs> and so the actual exercise of putting mm. the thing together and then taking it apart, mm. the participative aspect of it resonated in exactly sort of the way you, you mentioned. There's you actually know. a very good contemporary Chinese artist. Um, uh, I'm looking to uh, one of my students who might rem remind me of his name, who, who does a project where he, or did a performance where he built a road out of a limited number of bricks across a very busy street in Beijing or Shanghai. And um, what he did is he built the wall and then took the beginning, the right, first bricks, yeah. and then mm -hmm. till it work, eventually... Yeah. Um, uh, when, do you remember his name? Well, at the second discussion, um, Wen, who's uh, an intern at Art Critical, is going to fill us in on the name of the artist that I'm alluding to. Now is a good time, however, to uh, look at our third video of the evening. Which is why you see I have no voice left. I was actually <laughs> recording this afternoon. Let's look at video number three, which is our last two shows of the evening. Back in the 19th century, romantic artists would treat motifs from ancient mythology or the apocalypse while realists would deal with urban realities and political problems. Nowadays, end times and the news don't seem such different subjects. Who better to conflate them than LA-based artist Jim Shaw? His 2015 New Museum retrospective included a display of his personal collection of thrift store, millenarian religious banners and ephemera, while science fiction and American religiosity are persistent themes in his paintings. As the press release to the current show puts it, using imagery drawn from Old Testament stories, pagan myths and satirical cartoons, Shaw relies on his encyclopedic knowledge to visualize our common vernacular. His layered symbology reads like an exaggerated mirror of our hypermediated post-truth reality. In the back room of his Metro Pictures show is a display of works on paper, in ink or graphite, that include tightly rendered caricatures of Donald Trump. 
We should take a moment to consider how pervasive Trump has become in so short a time as an art world motif. We just mentioned him in relation to Ai Weiwei. But also on view right now is a powerful set of images by Judith Bernstein at the Drawing Centre. Earlier this season, we reviewed Peter Saul's fake news show at Mary Boone with its Trump depictions. And the last artist we're discussing this evening, Chicago-raised, Jersey City-based Nina Chanel Abney, makes frequent use of an orange-haired white man resembling the Donald in her bright collage-like paintings. The paintings utilize stencils and aerosol spray, pa spray paint, among other materials. Many will see echoes of Stuart Davis in her jazzy ensembles. While she explores charged topical issues of gender and race, she has spoken of a personal need to preserve humor in her work, which sometimes draws on the emoji that she uses, texting with friends. Her favorites, she's on record or saying, are the nail varnish and poop ice cream emojis. So we were thinking in terms of Ai Weiwei that, uh, you know, our politics are so dark that what art can possibly trump whatever emotions are um, pulsating through our nervous system. Um, how does how do the Trump caricatures resonate within Jim Shaw's exhibition, Christian? Do they make us feel that here may be the, the domain of our times? Um, do they seem like an afterthought within the context of his painting show? Uh, do they send us back looking in new ways at his religiosity and symbology of his work? Um, I don't know that they... <laughs> I'm not quite sure how they inform the rest of the show, but I, I, I found myself <laughs> more interested in the show after seeing them. Um, uh, and we've seen so much Trump stuff. Um, uh, I mean, I'm sure I'm like you guys, and sometime between going, sometime between getting up and going to bed, I'm I'm either looking for the words Robert Mueller or Donald Trump on on online, um, uh, and so we don't seem to tire of our diet of him, um, and. You know, seeing him depicted gives me some satisfaction because I feel, I think, innately that artists should be, particularly at this juncture, involved with the issues of their time. Um, uh, as to how involved they should be, well, you know, that's an issue for each artist to take up. And I, I, I would also say that obviously an, an environment that is you know, 24-7 Trump for, you know, every other artist would be a sort of a terrible environment to sort of be in, or it would be, it would seem oppressive. Um, getting back to your question, I guess I've always had issues with Shaw. He's a, I think he's a terrific artist, but the gonzo aspect of what he does, um, the, the wholesale embrace of theory and postmodernism, at least not in the actual making of the work, but in, mm -hmm. But in 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 um, in sort of embracing you know I don't know kind of without any distinction you know low Americana it it reminds me of P 
Pinchon, who I hate. It reminds me of Vonnegut, <laughs> who I hate. You know, it reminds me of that that sort of that Occam's razor of sort of postmodernism that just likes to defer meaning, you know, forever <laughs> if it can manage to. Um, and so I've always had that issue with him. But having said that, I found work like I did in the New Museum show that I, though I think in greater percentages here or greater proportion in, 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 in the current show, that, I, that that was, I think, you know, by all lights, terrific. Mm -hmm. The origin of the, um, uh, origin of the, uh, the origin of the world uh, uh, riff on, on uh, right. Corbet was, you know, a, 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 a very smart piece. Mm. You know, I think it's hard not to, not to defend that piece. I think I'm already talking too much, but I'm of several minds. Yeah. I still maintain that I have that issue that I brought up, that he's such a weenie postmodernist that I have a <coughs> difficult sort of, I have a difficult time taking him seriously when he sort of goes after Trump. But I thought those pieces that he did were funny. Yeah. Um, Lila, I'm, I'm a little surprised by Christian's take because the, he may be uh, a heavy-duty postmodernist in his uh, away from the canvas, but in in the canvases themselves, um, um, it's not that, that it's not like he's giving us a, a collage or a jumble or a juxtaposition. It's it's just a very darkly peculiar vision, isn't it? This this synthesis of um, American religiosity with a science fiction. Uh, view of the universe. Um, what, what does is he is he sort of just a um, um, are these still David Lynch's, or, or it, it, how are we to how are we to read and make use of his paintings? Do you think? Well, I want to use Christian's term weenie postmodernist for a very particular reason, which is that I am no defender of weenie postmodernists. However, um, and it's difficult to separate out both shows in this, so I will just dive in. Um, it has been a strangely useful time for weenie postmodernists in the sense that the sort of um, embracing and reflecting of particular American vernaculars through artist lenses that have been working with those vernaculars for a long time is super potent right now to me, especially when juxtaposed with the Trump caricatures. Um, things that were sort of benign um, or that we would have laughed at years ago, like the, the sort of silliness of these, while they are not formally silly, but the content silliness. Yes. Um, now to me, similarly to the way Nina Chanel um, uses scenes of violence and emojis and quotidian life and all these things, um, seem to me sort of this like dispositive that's ready to just have Trump's America like slid right into it and thrown into stark, stark relief. Um, and it makes me weirdly happy to be an American just because something about it makes me like, this is an insane country that we live in. Yeah. And these disparate visions of it with the caricature of Trump make it all make sense. It doesn't make it less horrible, but it somehow all works. Um, as far as the, the formal execution, of, of the pieces, I think it's extremely, um, again, highlighted by the time it's seen in. I, I, I think they're effective, I think they're smart. Um, they're 
really wonderfully composed. Um, they have a sort of uncanniness that keeps mm. you awake. Um, specifically, um, if anybody, <coughs> I'm not supposed to do this, but if anyone recalls from the video, the yeah. laptop flipping open one, the, the ways in which that image are constructed are so um, simultaneously disorienting and familiar yeah. um, that I think technically they're, they're very well executed. Yeah, they're, they're um, almost belligerently illustrative, aren't they? They um, uh, and they relate to his strange collecting habits of, of going around thrift stores and finding and and other sources, no doubt, and finding um, religious ba banners from various kind of uh, underground um, non-conformist sects around the country. And yeah, Jonathan. Um, well, I, uh, I had a much warmer reaction to this show than the two of you, I must say, but I've always felt very close to Jim Shaw's work. Uh, I, too, grew up with, you know, R. Crumb, Mad Magazine, you know, these cheesy magazines uh, and, uh, you know, television, uh, much more than high art imagery. And um, I, uh, I think that what Jim Shaw does with <coughs> what he calls the junk pile of American culture is um, uh, just, it, it reaches me. It's, it's a kind of an alchemy where he takes all these base things and makes something much more, um, uh, I wouldn't call it gold, but he makes something um, uh, really special out of it that rises above the ingredients. As far as Trump goes, I have tired of the image of Trump, thank you. I, I don't need to see him one more time. <laughs> and I think that this was uh, the minor, uh, the, 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 you know, the puniest aspect of the show. I felt the same way about Peter Saul's show. I think that um, the obsession with Trump was giving Trump what he wants, mm -hmm. giving us what we have too much of, and it's the visual equivalent of screaming in reaction to what's going on in the world. Mm -hmm. I think the strength of Jim Shaw's show is in the pieces which are what he always does really well, which is to put uh, odd things together in ways he probably doesn't even understand himself into these infinitely resonant allegories. Yes. Uh, I think there are two great pieces in the show. One is uh, the um, Miss Universe piece, and the other one you didn't show a slide of, which is um, Hillary Clinton as Mad Meg. Right, as a drawing, uh, yes. And uh, yeah. I, I, I'm probably saying these things this enthusiastically because I'm a theater person, and this is a very theatrical artist. You know, he buys theatrical uh, backdrops and paints on them, and these are theatrical scenes. But look at that Miss Universe painting. Um, it's a, a, a riff on Titian's Rape of Europa, which is a painting itself which has been uh, uh, kind of... Um, uh, controversial because it looks as though she maybe wants to go with the bull, mm -hmm. right? So here you have Miss Universe with a, a, a businessman who, who looks like uh, either the Minotaur or a Centaur looking at his watch coming across her on the beach, you know? So instead of a head, she has a galaxy. So it's like Miss Universe has turned into a universe. This guy who thinks he owns her or, or, or the, the context in which she exists doesn't know what he's getting. 
He's, he's about to be um, <coughs> really surprised when he gets to her. And if you look at how it's painted, look at the arm. The arm isn't a real arm. It's a Barbie doll's arm that snaps in. So, you know, I, and, and the background is, is, isn't, a, 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 you know, realistic. It's like wallpaper. Do I know why all of this comes together so resonantly? I, I, I don't, I don't but, I, but I think that that is a rich, rich allegory, and, uh, and I stood in front of it a long time thinking about where it went. And, and the, the Hillary Clinton as Mad Meg is brilliant. Mm. That is a, uh, um, a painting by Bruegel that has meant a lot to theater people. Mm. Uh, you know, the, the Bruegel's name for her, Dalgrette, uh, she's a character in plays by Carol Churchill, Charles Mee, and, and, uh, and to make her into Hillary Clinton with a basket, not of, you know, spoils from the chaos, but of the basket of deplorables. There's a KKK guy there, and a guy says, down with fat. <coughs> that's, that's just brilliant. I just love that. So it reached me. Fantastic. Let's turn our attention to Nina Shalel Abney, our last show of the evening. Um, a, a younger artist, Chicago raised. Um, and I wonder, Lila, if you could launch us into uh, a discussion on uh, Nina's work. Well, I, you know, her work is interesting to me because it's instantly. Um, evocative and accessible it's you know like on, on a very initial level it's colorful it's fun it's busy there's a lot going on um but she deals with multiple mediums they're incredibly intricately composed um she makes really no distinction between intense political and cultural subject matter and sort of daily interactions in her personal life all of which i think is a very rich um sort of representation of of how we live now in this atmosphere that has become sort of this uh, constant flattened intensity um partly facilitated by social media in terms of the sort of daily violence done to people that you can witness as it happens on facebook live while you like are also having text messages coming in um and i think that her sophisticated technique in representing that reality is sort of so timely that it makes me anxious and I love it for that. Wow, yes. There's a kind of, um, there's a great kind of Stuart Davis, Romare Bearden kind of uh, vibe to these works. I mean, formally, I think these are fabulous. These just really uh, grab the retina and take it for a romp. Um, do, you, do you concur with Lila in the kind of political reading of them? Christian? I think you're really steeped in, in, um, in art history, particularly African-American art history. Um, and I also think that they are, uh, what's the right term here? Um, they're each a melee of one sort or another. And in that way, they remind me very much of the kind of torches and pitchforks that run through the interwebs these days. Um, uh, <coughs> outrage is what they seem to me to be mm. largely about. Um, uh, and, you know, she has absolutely no uh, issue um, in 
in entertaining things, in entertaining any of these issues, any of these problems, uh, whether it's Trump, um, uh, whether it's uh, literally race war, a number of these pieces look to me just like, uh, you know, the beginning of a race war. Um, uh, you know, police violence, um, uh, you know, again, our use of our use of signs, our illiteracy in terms of sort of the new use and abuse of signs. Mm -hmm. um, I think all that stuff is there. Uh, you know, again, in in a in a way that's so much more direct that that I think it really does speak to to our present moment in a way that that I find mm. um, Shaw doesn't. You know, she, she has more authority for a number of reasons, um, uh, uh, but more authority even as a as a painter and representing the again the cultural melee that that uh, that that we're all experiencing now. And she doesn't have the problem that I think Shaw definitively does have, and that is that she will never look like Dali. Um, and I think that's well, he'll part, never of, look the, like part of the issue with Shaw hmm. is that. <coughs> two-thirds of the work in that gallery, and I think two-thirds of the work at the New Museum, when I remember seeing it, really come off as Dali, frankly, bad Dali, and there's good Dali, and, and that's worth rescuing. Um, but it's a commitment to not, it's, it's, a, it's a commitment to relativizing everything, and I do find that problematic, and I don't have that problem with, uh, with Abney. That's a curious take. I mean, that's a, a perfectly valid take. Curious but, I mean, guy. Yeah, but I mean, um, uh, uh, he's never going to have the problem of looking like Stuart Davis, and and I think you can you can look like someone and and yes. transcend it. No, no, uh, no. But I mean, no, I mean, yeah. I don't. It's not my job as moderator to belittle the yes. uh, spirited contribution it's coming a, from my a, left. But, it's but a I, I'm going to. But, <coughs> but it's a discussion about meaning as as much as it is. About <coughs> And, and artists approaches to meaning as, it, as much as it is yeah. about specific pieces and but and in fairness uh, Jim Shaw at his best um, has that capacity and when I first saw his work I was kind of woefully ignorant of his stature on the west coast um, and I, I just thought what the heck are these I was, I was at Metro Pictures it was his, his last show there and um, it was just before the New Museum show, the works um, seem to be like Harold Bloom coming to bloom as paint, because he was, he was really, he wasn't simply caricaturing um, American religion, but he was making works of a, of a theatrical power that resonated with the very wackiness that, that leads to, I mean, Harold Bloom has has repeat has 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 made the argument that the, the Mormon religion is um, is to be understood as America's um, as 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 America's great literary contribution that that this is a a fully fledged Gnostic religious system created on in in this country. I don't remember Bloom talking about snake charming preachers though, and that's largely what. Yes. Our man here is about. Right. Yeah, he spins it a little beyond. But what, what the point I'm making is that there's a kind of Blakean energy of his almost seeming to believe his own nuttiness. <coughs> um, but we're, getting, we're, we're supposed to be on Abney at this stage. But, um, but I would say, I mean, I love the visuals of Abney, and I think the energy is positive. 
and and you're you're right that that her own uh, uh, profile as a as a woman of color um, gives her a, a, an authority to take on certain subjects. Wait, did I say that? No, uh, he said. Oh, that. I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. I implied it. I didn't actually say it. You implied it, and I clarified it for you I, into, I, I a, into a statement. You if you don't want it as a statement, don't imply no, 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 it. No, no, okay, no. Okay, but um, with you. that. that uh, I also don't think her stature <coughs> as a woman of color gives her the authority to do it. I think the fact that she's a very good painter gives her the authority to do it. I want right. to clarify that point. Okay, she's very. She's got the chops as a painter, but um, it, it's it's. Uh, it's not like she takes us into layer upon layer upon layer of metaphorical possibility or allegorical possibility, <coughs> which I think um, uh, Love Him or Hate Him Shaw does. Jonathan, can I get your input on, um, particularly on this debate then, in, on, in relation to... Uh, I'm very surprised to hear the word outrage attached to these paintings. I think that the uh, uh, earlier paintings by this uh, artist were clearly works of outrage toward uh, <coughs> excesses by law enforcement, toward gun violence, toward um, uh, abusive women. Uh, you could see it uh, everywhere, and there was someone home in those paintings uh, 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 painting an editorial point of view in a very uh, clear-spirited way. Um, she was referencing classical paintings. There's one that is her riff on George Washington Carver crossing the Delaware. There was a, uh, another great painting of Bill Cosby in a hospital gown with a, a dwarf in clown makeup tied by his neck to a tree. Uh, this is before the Bill Cosby scandal. This is an artist with a, 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 a finger on a pulse of uh, what was really sleazy in uh, uh, American culture and abusive. Um, and, uh, and she, she knew how to paint it. Uh, her thesis painting, which is so famous, where she was painted herself as a white prison guard and her white classmates as black incarcerated prisoners in orange jumpsuits. These are, these are wonderful paintings. And, I, uh, and, and these recent paintings, which are so flat, which are so color form, which are all about stencils and have words like wow and yes and XXX, I just find drained of the same kind of central attitude and point of view. Um, <coughs> I brought along the press release uh, for Abney's show. I just want to read a few words from this. The overarching mood is a nothing matters attitude in response to conditions that are seemingly inescapable and irreversible. Global warming, xenophobia. This is uh, passivity in submitting to a force greater than oneself. Dejection in the face of omnipresent technology. Dejection and nothing matters? I mean, is this what we need in the face <coughs> of the depredations of Donald Trump? I just, I, I mean, I'm, I'm a little hesitant to come on too strong because, you know, I don't, um, I, I, I'm not expert in this language and I don't come from the generation that wants you know, information swarm, the way these paintings are kind of reports of information swarm. But Marshall Price, in his catalog essay for her museum show, writes about the emojification of her work in recent years. And is that an asset? I wrote an essay yeah. that Lila edited on emojis. <laughs> yeah. I got interested in emojis a few years ago. And my theory about emojis is that they are wholly compensatory. 
they, uh, I got interested in them because I have facial paralysis and I have to use compensatory techniques to try and make my emotions clear face to face. And my theory was that emojis are doing that with everybody. They are, they're, they're communicating electronically and, and, and they're compensating for the emotions people can't make clear. Mm. Is that what a painter should be grasping after? No, I don't th I think you're right. They shouldn't. I have some questions as to how much of what's in the press release is in the paintings and vice versa. You don't think it came from a conversation with her at least? I think she proved it clearly, otherwise it wouldn't sort of, it wouldn't have been published. Yeah, but she's uh, a painter, so let's go with her paint. I mean, uh, press releases are a vice in their own. Uh, yeah, but they, but yeah, <coughs> David's right. I mean, there, there is an aspect to but she's not holding her fully, I, I think it's correct not to hold her fully responsible for whatever the gallery wrote, but point taken still. Yeah. But also is, I mean, I don't know, I think that it's, I think we have to be very particular when affixing value hierarchies to particular modes of communication. I mean, you know, from like a lot of big schools of philosophy, any language, visual or textual, is only an approximation. Um, so in that sense to say, and to be a postmodern weenie about it, sorry Christian, but in that sense to say that an emoji as an approximation of meaning is less valuable than a different mode is not something I feel uh, sort of structurally holds up. I could probably be convinced, but I don't think it's a given. I don't think it's a solid premise to depart from. I also am from the generation of like wanting to just say, wow, flatly in response to, to Trump, and I, it actually oddly, um, because I didn't want to relegate um, <laughs> Nina Chanel to the realm of being women of color painter, but it, there was a person who was very <coughs> passionate at the last review panel um, who no. felt that Kara Walker's work that was about trauma and whatever was like not representative of the current African-American experience and was like oh, not yes. healing and not additive. Do you it, remember that he was very... Clintel um, Steed, who was speaking yes. in the audience. Yes, yes. and he was very mm. passionate on that front. And I, I think there's a, an argument to be made for the right to not be outraged and for the, the right to process whatever nonsense is happening in the world through whatever affect feels genuine at the moment. I don't think she needs to be held to a standard of what her painting ought to do politically. I think it should be evaluated in terms of its effectness, effectiveness in what it seeks to do on its own terms. I mean, I think it's telling though that she is making work in the gallery that um, occasionally uses a naughty, a rude word, and occasionally has a slightly scatological uh, inference, but uh, for the most part, um, they're, they're mural ready. I mean, they could go out into the world and decorate with a little censorship, could decorate a courtroom or a, a school or a public library, couldn't Is that a compliment? Um, uh, well, our, our courthouses need decoration, and I think they're uplifting works. But and, and we're I in think a state of emergency right I now. Don't, but I, think, I, but you know, I disagree yeah. with that. I, I, yeah. I, yeah, I just, I'm trying to find the painting where, with the, the Mount Rushmore painting. I mean, look, I, I still think that, I mean, my, my issue with, with the, the text here uh, in the press release is that I really don't think, even if she approved it, that it accurate, accurately reflects what's happening in the paintings. Mm. I, I do think the paintings are lar largely about uh, outrage, you know, and, and flatly so. 
I mean, um, the, one of them has the N word in it. It's not in the yeah. slide, but they're yeah, not. That it's not isn't like going to the school, and, right? You know, and 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 there's. I mean, sure. am I the only one who sees a couple of sort of race riots in these things? No, you're well, not. There you go. So how how in the world is that going to be sort of like you know, how is that going to be hanging in the Apple uh, 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 conference room? You know, um, I, I I don't think so. You know, uh, or Bach Trump. You know, mm. uh, you know, and and a, and a woman with a pistol. I mean, let's not go any further than just this painting. Um, it's but actually, it, if you look at Thomas what, Hart Benton murals, there are often some race riots and things in those as well. So th it doesn't actually reflecting uh, turbulence doesn't necessarily prevent you from working as a, as a, in a civic uh, uh, setting. No, absolutely but, not. Mm. But mm. but probably from hanging in a civic setting, at least mm. you know contemporaneously. Right. One would hope. Yes. We all have to decide what we want from art at a moment like this. Yes. Where everything seems so urgent. Yes. You know, and you say, how can you go further than that painting? Well, she did in previous years. And I, and I, and I, and I think that the mutedness, the childishness of these things is a very odd response to these really emergency conditions that are her subject matter. I just, I find that hard to, <coughs> to stomach. And, uh, and I'm, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm clearly a minority of one here. No, because no, no, I, I, my, my point in saying that they're mural ready is precisely to say that she's, she's honed her craft to be a, a very appealing and very decorative artist. Uh, um, accessible. Who's accessible. Accessible, fun, and it's kind of modernism light that, that energizes. I think there's, there's, these, are, these, are, these may sound like put downs, but they're not. I mean, they're, she's... Um, I, I don't. I don't think they're very deep. That's that's the point I'm making. Actually, I wish we could have the slideshow thing because I, I I think that part of them is that they require a lot of time, and in fact the constructions are very intricate. And the one that we were looking at, where that says "fuck Trump," um, mm. I actually wanted to talk to you about that one specifically because it has a very um, structured staging that moves in um, perspective-wise into the painting. Um, the way the bodies are ordered around each other is very particular. Which one? This one. Oh. Um, the the cell phones over here that like look out at you from the corner even while like they are ignoring you and the cell phone facing in in profile. They're like all these intricate gazes that are intersecting with each other and with you. Um, so I, I, I wouldn't say that they're childish, but I, I do feel the mutedness that you feel. And I think for me, I have been interpreting or feeling that m less as um, submissive silence than as sort of stunned mm -hmm. wordlessness. Mm. Um, but it's, it's interesting, you know, that such different and probably a, a sign in her favor that such different interpretations can be taken. Out yes, of. indeed. Yes. She does belong to a tradition, uh, a tradition in which African-Americans often partake. It doesn't mean that you have to be African-American to do it. It doesn't mean you have to do it if you're African-American. I'm just saying that in the Venn diagram, there are quite a number of African-American artists who, who uh, deploy the naive or the quote-unquote primitive in, um, in, the, in the, f the flattening of form, the uh, accentuation of color, um, and the sort of the childlike quality. I mean, think of, um, and it can be it can be de deployed with uh, amazing uh, presence in an artist like Henry Taylor. Um, um, does does this have some bearing? Is, is there some some sense by in in which 
she's perhaps offering a comment on the way in, in the in the sheer childishness of um, of the way politics is conducted at the moment. Um, that certainly anyone who's exposed to the presidential tweet is is uh, if you look at his latest fracas with um, uh, the senator calling for his resignation, sort of it resorts to a schoolboy kind of mentality. Um, is 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 an, in a way this childlike language um, a commentary on the 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 um, uh, elemental nature of of our of our politics? Yeah, I mean, it could be an intensification formally as well. <coughs> you could make that argument, you know. Cool. I think with Shaw and with Abney, there's <coughs> there's going to be some comments from our public and uh, from our audience, um, and we do need to be out of here <laughs> promptly at nine. So we've got ten minutes of uh, ten minutes of discussion. Uh, gentleman in a suede jacket in the fourth row, oh, no. Eric, if you could. Uh, in fact, we needn't be coy. It's. Alexi Wolf. Well, these are the, both of those were really fun discussions. I, I, for myself, I keep thinking, Jonathan, that Nina Chanel Abney is taunting exactly you. That, that, that there's a danger of being, I imagine, in her position, of being boxed in. And she's toggling between kind of activism and irresponsibility so deliberately in these images in a way that seems to me to preserve her freedom. In, in precisely because this moment seems like it could box somebody into up one or the other position. It seems to me that, I'm, in a way, anyway, I'm curious to know your response to that. <coughs> and I, the other thing I wanted to quickly say is, of all the artists tonight, it seems to me that she's the one who's really dealing with her medium. Everyone else is really a post-medium artist. And what I love about these paintings, along with that toggling, is the way that I feel somebody taking up an older medium and combining the, the, the Davis uh, flat shape modernism with um, uh, the kind of elements of screen visuality in a very, very self-conscious, playful, carefree way that's willing to go thin, totally shrewdly, to, and, and risk the, the, the apparent substantiality of images. But to me, a lot of it is the, 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 the weight of the whole endeavor is um, is guaranteed, or 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 I, my trust in it is guaranteed by that feeling of somebody working through their medium, through old and fresh um, visual questions. That is a um, very sympathetic and intelligent defense of what sh might be going on here, and I accept it. <coughs> in. <coughs> Frederick Jameson's book on postmodernism, which is from the 1980s, he has a section in which he talks about pastiche, and I do feel this is a kind of pastiche. His critique of pastiche is that it amounts to a kind of blank irony, and what it is displacing is a kind of a fuller, informed, invested irony that came from parody. Parody is the thing that preceded pastiche. Pastiche in the postmodern aesthetic emptied it out and left us sitting with the empty shell of our savvy with almost no content and no feeling about that content. I thought we played out that game 20, 30 years ago. I thought we saw that Keith Haring became wallpaper. And I think that this is wallpaper 
And I think that it is um, uh, uh, decorative, and I think that it might even be branding. Right. Yes, some, quite a few hands going up, just on the same row as Alexi. Um, yep, Sherman. You know, <coughs> I, I, I saw the Abney show too, and the one thing I was surprised that no one really commented on is just walking through it, at the, my first thought was, they're so high-key polychromatic, and the compositions are so busy, and uh, there's a lot of repetition, just formally, repetition of shapes that, that are just get very confused. And uh, I start to wonder when times change on down the road, and times always do change, social political times change, will work like this hold up? And my, my second thought when I was in, standing in the gallery was, I think of Jacob Lawrence's work, um, and those hold up, but they hold up not just as historical documents or social political documents. Um, they hold up formally, you know, due to the way that they were made. And I don't necessarily, I guess I have formal concerns with this particular work, um, in addition to all these other things that y'all are talking about, you know? I mean, I guess we'll find out how much the internet winds up affecting painting. Uh, but the internet winds up affecting painting, but I mean, part of my contention is that if it, if it does, like it's affecting everything, then, you know, maybe <coughs> this will have a longer lifespan, these, these kinds of compositions, these kinds of, you know, uh, classically sort of like, a, uh, what the right term is, but, but the not classical compositions will, will have a different sort of breed, you know. A new matrix, yes. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yes, uh, work your way up through the right-hand column. Thanks. Um, I, I'm really glad that the last um, person who made a comment brought up... I'm sorry, you take the mic right to your mouth, if you would. Because I just wanted to say, I'm, I'm really glad that you brought up Jacob Lawrence, because, and this might sound godless, because he's one of my favorite artists of all time, but... I can't help when I look at these um, Chanel Abney paintings thinking of her as kind of a millennial Jacob Lawrence. And of course there is this mutedness, but I don't see it as being nearly as cynical as, as Ai Weiwei's work, frankly. Mm. Um, that there's a flatness and a, and a kind of mute affect to Ai's work in, in the Fences Project that I actually think these are really narratively rich and, and they say a lot about our time right now. It's maybe not the Great Migration, it's something much uh, harder to read uh, as an epic. Um, mm. But that simultaneity feels very rich here and, and I think it works formally too. So. For what it's worth, I think I think this work is worth defending, and I think it's very. I hope that it doesn't become some kind of fashion out of style, you know. Thank you. One, one, one thing that occurs to me is is that um, I mean I I look at I look at this work. I mean, just in terms of your comment, Jonathan, in terms of the Jameson pastiche, in terms of theory, I I I have the feeling I don't know this for a fact. But I have the feeling that uh, Abney, like a lot of painters of her generation, um, did a, like a somersault over theory and may have gotten to postmodernism as fact and as reality, you know, and as contingency. But the rest of it, 
not so much. And, and, and I think that, to me, gives this work kind of different resonance. I, I, I can't read this as pastiche. Um, you know, I, I, I read this maybe as even casting back to Matisse at a certain level. Mm, I mean, totally. you, know, even be, you know, beyond Beard and, and, uh, and Lawrence. Um, at just a, at a simplification of form, you know, that is made complex by this matrix that you sort of talked mm -hmm. about, you know, this new mm -hmm. matrix. I mean, I, it's not I so new I now, see the angry politics in her as being an accent to um, a, a composition that is essentially serene. Um, that's why I'm concurring with you that they, um, I, but, but to me it's not pejorative that they're decorative. Um, but I, I don't think that their motor is the, is, is their anger. I think the anger is like the spice and that the real meat of them is their beauty. Uh, more comments on the floor, yes. Um, thank you all. Um, just a note, I don't know if, if you saw the Eric Yanker show at The Hole earlier this year. Um, the Jim Shaw stuff reminded me of him or right. reminded me of Jim Shaw. Um, say the artist's name again, will you? The Eric Yanker. He's another LA artist. I don't know oh, right. what's going Eric on Yanker. over there, but it's he does co similar compositions, but all in pastel. But um, just a note. Um, and then the uh, then the second show, Nina uh, Chanel Abney, Al Abney. Um, she did a mural down in Coney Island over the summer, um, which I, I don't know. I, I find it hard to. She did with kids, cool kids, right? Um, I don't know if it was that. It was with Jeffrey Dyke. It was a Jeffrey Dyke thing, yeah. Uh, which I tore several holes into, but not the not the Abney piece, <laughs> which uh, I liked. <laughs> um, I guess I just um, I find it hard to take it seriously. Um, I, I don't know for what it's worth. Uh, a lot of the just stuff just seems like filler, but that's my opinion. No, but I'm glad you mentioned that because the muralization aspect that you're yes. talking about, mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. really, and I'd totally forgotten that she did, <laughs> she participated in, 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 that, in that show, which was a bit of a sort of real, real, real estate sort of move, yes. not to say boondoggle. Um, uh, but, it, you know, they looked beyond, they were the most sophisticated, I found, murals in the, in the bunch. And, and in that way, differed from... Uh, Kenny Sharfit was actually there and a number of other sort of like fantastic typical listen um, my iPhone has actually told me literally I'm not joking that it's time for me to stand um, and um, I think actually it is time for us to go and get a drink another part of my anatomy is telling me that um, so ladies and gentlemen thank you very much See you, see you all, I hope, on February the 6th for the first um, of, the, the, of the new season. If you want to know uh, what's happening at Art Critical, you go to artcritical.com and sign up for our bulletin. Um, certainly starting in the new year, a rigorous routine of a weekly bulletin. Mm. What's new at the magazine? What's going on in New York? And when the next review panel is. And um, thank you. <laughs>